If I were to ask you why the birth of Jesus is important, I think everyone here could give an answer, probably. If I were to ask you why the cross is important, I think everyone here could give an answer. If I were to ask why the resurrection is important, I think everyone here could give an answer. But if I were to ask you why Pentecost is so important, I think many of us would struggle to find an answer to that question. And so that is my aim this morning. This is probably going to feel uh, like I'm doing a little bit more teaching than normal in my sermon, but I think that's what we need. We need to understand Pentecost and more significantly apply Pentecost to our faith. So let me give you a big picture meaning of Pentecost and then I'll use the sermon to get into the details. Pentecost is to be viewed as the launch of the new covenant church. The Old Testament tells the story of the Old Covenant, which all points, of course, to Jesus as the fulfillment of the entirety of the Old Covenant. And so the New Testament begins with the coming of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, which accomplishes all that Old Testament fulfillment, and thus begins what we call the New Covenant. Well, directly after Jesus' ascension comes Pentecost. And so Pentecost is to be viewed as the launching of the new era. It's the first day of what the scriptures refer to as the last days. Now, as I read the story of Pentecost, you probably noticed it was a wild day. And we tend to get distracted by all the crazy details. Part of the reason why we struggle to understand Pentecost it is that it has been uh, so widely and wildly uh, misinterpreted in many ways. But those details are painting a picture of something very important. Pentecost is the supernatural outpouring that shows us where the new covenant is heading. Let me illustrate it like this. Summer's upon us, which means many people, including admittedly myself, are going through the annual ritual of getting our bodies somewhat in shape to put on a bathing suit. And there are many diet and exercise programs competing for uh, your attention right now. Well, how do those programs market themselves? They do so with the power of an after picture. They show me a picture of a guy uh, rocking the dad bod like I am currently. And then they show me an after picture of that same guy who no longer looks like me because he has shed the dad bod. What this incredibly effective marketing technique does is it eliminates my cynicism and stirs my imagination that my goal is actually possible. That's what Pentecost is on a redemptive scale. Do you ever get cynical that our world will ever be made right, as we just profoundly sung? Do you doubt that every tongue tribe, and nation will be united together as one, giving praise to the Lord Jesus. I understand if you do. It does at times feel so hopeless, and we feel so helpless. Well, on the first day of the new covenant, God gives us the after picture of what the world is destined to to be our future picture. Pentecost is a foretaste of the end. 
a moment, a brief one-day moment where we get a picture of where all of this is heading. And where this is heading is heaven on earth. Pentecost is the day that heaven came down by the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us a preview of what the new covenant is sure to yield. And that is what we are going to see this morning in this picture of heaven on earth. And we're going to see three things emerge. The culture of heaven, the content of heaven, and the call of heaven. So the culture, the content, and the call. Let's start with the culture. If you're going to understand Pentecost, it is absolutely essential to first understand our Old Testament reading this morning. I don't have time, obviously, to thoroughly exhaust the story of Babel, but let me highlight what's important for us to understand. In Hebrew, the word Babel was associated with confusion. Thus, the final verse of the story says, that is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And in the English language, we still retain that same meaning. For example, what do we call confusing speech? We call it babbling, right? So this is the conclusion of the story of Babel. God confuses their languages, or to use the biblical word for languages, God confuses their tongues and spreads them throughout the earth. Now, the parallels to Pentecost are already emerging, right? Pentecost is the reversal of Babel, a day that the nations come together and God reunites their tongues. But there is much more to see here. Genesis 1 through 11 is its own epic unto itself. Scholars call it primeval history as opposed to normal uh, historical narrative that begins in Genesis 12 with Abraham. Genesis 1 through 11 is a lot of bizarre stories using a lot of rich imagery to fast forward through a lot of history that sets the stage for the more detailed historical narrative of God's redemption throughout the rest of the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2 are the creation. Genesis 3 is the fall. And then in Genesis 4 through 11, we witness the undoing of creation after the fall, which has yielded the world as we know it, scattered, sinful people, inhabiting a fallen, broken world. And the culmination of that primeval history is Babel. Babel is to be viewed as, in some ways, the culmination of the fall. And what we need to see is that Pentecost is to be viewed as the culmination of redemption. Babel is a picture of hell on earth. Pentecost is a picture of heaven on earth. We are to view Pentecost as the undoing of Babel, the reversal of Babel, the removal of Babel's judgment. But what happened at Babel that was so bad? The story begins by saying, now the whole world had one language and one speech. So fallen, sinful humanity is together as one culture with one tongue. And because of this, they were becoming a a centralized hub of rebellion and evil. They build a city. And what is the purpose of the city of Babel? The glory of man. They say, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. They want to build a tower to get to heaven. Not to get to God, 
but so that they could be God, so that they could rule in heaven, so to speak. And God sees this self-exaltation and he confuses their one tongue into different tongues and scatters them across the earth. Yes, it's a form of judgment, but also a form of mercy. Because in essence, what he has done is decentralize the fall and spread out its effects throughout the world. And thus the stage of global redemption is set that begins with Abraham in Genesis 12. All right, now let's turn to our passage. Notice how verse 5 introduces the scene. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem. Babel was a city built unto the glory of man. Jerusalem is the city built unto the glory of God. Jews, these children of Abraham, devout men from every nation under heaven. So at this point in the story, the Jewish people have been dispersed, meaning they are inhabiting uh, different cultures, different nations, growing up with that as their native culture and native tongue. That's why it says at Pentecost that there were Jews from every nation under heaven, which is just pregnant with Babel imagery, where God dispersed them into nations divided. Now continue on verse 6 and see what unfolds. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. Just like at Babel, they are confused, but they're confused for the opposite reason here. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? So the curse and judgment of Babel for this brief moment has miraculously been lifted. And people are together with one tongue. And yet there is a noticeable difference between Babel and Pentecost. And this gets to what I'm talking about when I say the culture of heaven. What's interesting about the reversal of Babel's judgment is that it isn't one culture with one tongue. Instead, it's all the cultures hearing in their own native tongue. So it's one tongue, but it isn't one tongue. What is this? It is diversity and unity. You see, up until this point, the tongue of God's people was exclusively Hebrew. To this very day, to be converted to Judaism, one must learn Hebrew to read and recite the Torah as it's written in its original tongue. What's interesting about Pentecost is that the miracle didn't give everyone the supernatural ability to uh, speak and hear Hebrew, the Jewish language. Instead, it was that everyone was able to hear in their own native tongue what the Hebrew tongue had been proclaiming for centuries, the salvation of God. And this is the culture of heaven. Not that we all become a monolithic tongue and culture, but that there is something that unites all tongues. And cultures. Indeed, something that reconciles all tongues and cultures. The end is not a bland, homogenous people. It is the vast diversity of every tongue and nation united together in perfect unity and harmony. Pentecost is a preview of heaven. And when Revelation actually shows us heaven, it is again a city, just like Babel 
but a holy heavenly city, not going up to heaven, but coming down from heaven. And every tongue, tribe, and nation brings their glory into the heavenly city where we will all be together speaking the same word in different tongues, diversity and unity. So what is the culture of heaven? Every culture together as one culture. Every tongue together as one tongue. And what will unite us together? What will bring every tongue together in a common proclamation? Let's look next at the content of heaven. So after Luke takes us through the litany of the nations and cultures that were represented there, look at the conclusion of verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty work of God. What is destined to unite every tongue, tribe, and nation together are the mighty works of God. Specifically, the mighty work of God to which all the mighty works of God point the work of Jesus Christ. Return again to Babel. The content of Babel was the mighty works of man. Come, let us build our city, a tower to its heaven, and let us make a name for ourselves. The content of heaven is the mighty works of God in Jesus Christ. And what is the mighty work of God in Jesus Christ? You don't have to get to heaven like they vainly tried to do at Babel. Instead, I proclaim to you the good news of the mighty work of God that Jesus has left heaven to come to us so that through him you can actually get to heaven. That will be the content of the language of heaven forevermore. The mighty work of God's gospel. The content of the eternal story of heaven that every tongue will forever recount. The eternal song that every tongue will forever sing. The eternal feast that tongues will forever enjoy. The one central thing that will unite the diversity of every tongue, tribe, and nation is the one central hope of every tongue, tribe, and nation. The gospel of Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, the day heaven came to earth, every culture heard the mighty works of God in their own native tongue. When heaven finally and fully does come, every culture will proclaim the mighty works of God in their own native language. And in this way, we will all speak the same language, the language that is the gospel. But we're not there yet. The day of Pentecost is a foretaste of heaven. That's the after picture that we are pining after, the motivating picture that inspires us to get to work for its completion, which leads us lastly to the call of heaven. I've explained it. Let me preach a little bit here. What is the call of Pentecost? To get us back to Pentecost. Pentecost is the day heaven came to earth. Now, let us strive, let us labor for the permanent dwelling of heaven on earth. Pentecost gives the church something to aim for. On the day of Pentecost, the new covenant church of Jesus Christ is launched under this banner. We're not going to stop until the world looks like Pentecost again. Look at the conclusion of it all in verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled 
Better word there would be, they are drunk with new wine. And there's a deep irony to that mocking. They are drunk on new wine. Yes, they are. But not the type of intoxication or wine that they suppose. They are intoxicated with this. After supper, he took the cup of wine, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so, in response to their question, What does this mean? The Apostle Peter, directly following our passage, rises to preach the gospel for the first time in history. That is to say, the gospel in its fullest and complete form. Not the gospel that Christ is coming, but the gospel that Christ has come. The gospel that the mighty works of God have found their fullest and final expression in the mighty gospel of God. Peter does new covenant evangelism for the very first time. And that responsibility now belongs to us. The application of Pentecost is to proclaim the mighty work of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ until the earth becomes heaven when all tongues, tribes, and nations are united together as one. That this is the way. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is the way that every tongue, tribe, and nation will be reconciled and we will finally have peace on earth. And the reason I'm saying that so firmly is because academic social theories are getting a lot of attention in our society and in our churches. Most common one you hear of is uh, critical race theory. It's being argued and debated, but often what people call CRT isn't CRT, but it's kind of become catch-all term for these social theories that are out there. And all of these theories are proposed solutions to Babel's disarray and disunity. Academics trying to figure out how different cultures, races, ethnicities, languages, and so forth can be reconciled. And listen, these theories do have merit as mitigating effects of the Babel. Uh, there's, there, we can learn something from them as dealing with the symptoms of sinful division. But I am concerned that these social theories have become social religions usurping the essence of our religion, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, what will give us Pentecost? What will unite every tongue, tribe, and nation together? Is the bad news that every tongue, tribe, and nation is equally fallen, that none are superior? And yet the good news that every tongue, tribe, and nation can be reconciled together through their common reconciliation to God in Christ Jesus. We need something transcendent that unites us together. And the gospel of Jesus is that transcendent good news. So I am not ashamed to say what is being criticized by some as hopelessly naive, preaching the gospel is an effective strategy to heal our world. Because it is. It's the gospel that was first preached at Pentecost that will get the world back to Pentecost. And so I implore you to be a people who are relentlessly evangelistic where God has you. 
Pentecost is often used as a call to missions, and you can understand why. We have to go to every tongue, tribe, and nation to preach the gospel that will unite every tongue, tribe, and nation. And perhaps that is the case for you. I certainly pray for missionaries to be raised up out of TCPC. But friends, I can tell you for certain what it does mean. You do inhabit a nation. You do have a native tongue. Proclaim the mighty work of God's gospel where he has you. He might be calling you to learn a foreign tongue so that you can go preach the gospel to a foreign nation, but I can guarantee you that he's calling you to do it in English. And if you're not doing it in English, that's the greatest sign he's not calling you to do it somewhere else. So Pentecost is a call to evangelism. Now, I know you need help here. That's always the first question I get whenever a sermon's application ends in evangelism. Every Christian wants to evangelize, and yet nearly every Christian feels ill-equipped to do so. Now, in some ways, that feeling is unfounded. Nothing is stopping you from befriending your neighbors, telling them what Jesus has done for you, and what Jesus can do for them. And God can and will use your uh, stumbling about efforts, as imperfect as they are, to draw your friends unto himself and get the earth a little closer to Pentecost. But that being said, it's fair to ask your church to equip you to do that better. And this we are committed to doing. Uh, several years ago, we just got done with our May Sunday, uh, Combined Sunday School series. Well, several years ago, during May, I gave some lectures on evangelism in secular age. How to do evangelism in this secular society of unbelief where we find ourselves. And I would encourage you to go listen to those or re-listen to those. They're on our website if you haven't. But one of my projects for this upcoming fall is to add to them. Uh, Mission to North America, that's the PCA's um, domestic mission organization here in America focused on church planning in America, not internationally. Um, M&A uh, is very flattered and humble to learn that M&A got a hold of those evangelism uh, lectures and is using them for training for their church planters. But not surprisingly, I was also given this feedback from M&A, um, which you may have felt before in my teaching. You know, they said, your teaching is so helpful as a theoretical foundation, but it needs to be developed further on a practical outworking of that theory. So great in theory, weak in practicalities, such as the deserved critique of my teaching. So this fall, I am going to add to it some incredibly practical tools to actually do evangelism in our secular age. Now, I hope it benefits M&A, but I'm doing it first and foremost for you, for TCPC and our Bluegrass Network of Churches. I want us to be known as churches who are relentlessly evangelistic. So the tools that you need are coming, I promise, but today, on Pentecost Sunday, I just want us to embrace the call. Let us recommit ourselves to do our small part to proclaim the mighty work of God in Christ Jesus, which is the earth's only hope of reaching heaven on earth. 
And how can we not do this, considering it's been done to us? You do realize that you are a product of Pentecost. You are the benefactors of this campaign that was launched on the day of Pentecost. English was not a tongue represented that day. It wouldn't be spoken for another five centuries. And yet, the undeterred call and work of Pentecost broke through in English. You heard the mighty work of God's gospel in your tongue, and your destiny is now heaven of which Pentecost was just a taste. But it's not just that heaven is now your destiny. It is that heaven is now your calling. You have been reconciled, and you have been given the message of reconciliation. Pentecost was the day heaven came to earth, but it was only a day, only a moment. Let us now labor in our tongue, in our nation, in our neighborhoods to get our world back to Pentecost, not as one day, but as an eternal day when every tongue, tribe, and nation will be united together in proclaiming the mighty works of God. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this call, this convicting call. Thank you that Pentecost still speaks to us today, that your spirit that was poured out that day is inside all of us and is calling us, is convicting us to not just enjoy the promise of heaven, but to be agents of heaven, to share the good news that will unite all tongue, tribes, and nations together when heaven is on earth. Lord, hasten the day and use our lives and our church to be a small part in getting the earth closer to heaven. Strengthen us, Lord, for this task, starting with this sacrament. Feed us that we might be full and overflowing to our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.